Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and I might add shalom, 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 and you'll find out why in just a few minutes. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, innovation and creativity, a hot topic, and we have a lot to cover, so let me get started. In your business, are you really innovating and creating something new, or be honest, time for honesty here, are you just pushing things around, reordering them, reassembling the parts of existing ideas, but nothing really new is coming out of the effort? Well, if you're in the former group, you're innovating, you're creating new Do you have a predefined process? Is it standardized for your company? Or is it just chaos, serendipitous chaos? It's coming out of thin air. Wow, I have a great idea. Let's do something about it. Maybe it would be a good idea to have it a little more standardized. So if you're not sure where the ideas are coming from or they're simply not coming, I know you're going to benefit from learning about the behaviors that promote as well as the behaviors that hinder innovation in today's innovatively successful organizations. I know that's a mouthful. We have assembled a panel of experts from around the world. Yes, they are. Three of them are calling in from Israel. We're going to have quite a conversation, so put your seatbelts on and let's get started. First up on the panel is Shahar Larry. His companies are Demaya and Strategy Regeneration. And Shahar sent me two quotes, so listen carefully. First, we have a quote from Dune, that's Frank Herbert, Fear is the mind killer. And then we have a quote from Robert Heinlein, Time Enough for Love, and here it is. Progress isn't made by early risers. It's made by lazy men trying to find easier ways to do something. Woohoo! Shakar Larry, welcome. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining. So, Brad, I want to have Shakar a little bit louder in my earpiece so I can hear him better, please. Uh, I want you to tell me why the combination of quotes and how it relates to our topic of innovation and creativity. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so so, uh, so thanks. I, I think um, everybody says that innovation is difficult, that innovation is hard, and uh, my job is to help companies design their innovation strategy. And, and in a way, my life is easy. Because there is a reason why innovation is so difficult. Uh, uh, when we invest in something, when we invest in our uh, product, in our services, in our business model, it becomes very difficult for us to do things in a different way. It requires us to really break, break away from, from this type of gravity that pulls us into the organization all the time. Now, one of the benefits that I have in my job is that I have very little skin in the game, so I can afford to be brave. I like these two quotes because, because the first one says that if you want to innovate, you really need to be fearless, and innovation rewards the fearless. Fearless in the sense that you need to be able to challenge existing norms. Doing that from inside the organization is many times very difficult. The second quote talks about uh, how do you do things differently, uh, and that is also something that is very difficult to do uh, inside the organization. And again, for me as an outsider, many times, my life is a lot easier. Uh, having no skin in the game or very little skin in the game, I can ask mm-hmm. the questions that uh, some of the people inside cannot. 
Shakar, thank you. I, I want to pull apart the second quote, if I may, for just a moment. Progress isn't made by early risers. I think that would be a shock for a lot of people. They think, wow, you get up, you do a little running, you have the right breakfast, you drink the right green drink, you put on what we used to call, you're probably too young for this, your thinking cap, you get up early, you know, the early bird catches the worm, whatever the old saying is, and you're just going to go in there and you're going to be fresh and new and innovative, and it's going to happen. This isn't necessarily where it's coming from. Is that what Heinlein is trying to say? There's no doubt that this is a provocative quote, but you know what is the other side of the quote, uh, the mm. early bird gets warm? It's the, the lazy worm stays alive. <laughs> that's what, that's what I was looking for. Yep, go ahead. I don't think that uh, innovate, innovators or people that innovate or even uh, people that progress companies, I don't think they're lazy. And I don't think this is what uh, Heinlein is saying, but I think the lazy mindset or the, the uh, challenging mindset that, that says, okay, this is too complicated, this is too long. Uh, if you combine that with the ability to ask that question, and if you're trying to think to yourself, I- I'm lazy, I'm, 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 not, I'm too tired to do something this long or, or this complicated, can we do it in a different way? I think this is what Heinlein is referring to. And in my experience, it's a very strong mindset. And if you combine it with a, an industrious um, uh, state of mind as well, then, then you really get progress. Thank you very much. Good introduction to our topic, and I want to evolve the topic a little bit. Our topic today is the innovation evolution from the initial spark to an implementable idea, and that's what companies are looking for. Thank you, Shakar. Let me bring on a second panelist. It's Natty Gore, G-U-R, and he's with the Friedkin Group, and he sent me a quote from Coach John Wooden, who, believe it or not, has appeared on one of our SAP Game Changers radio shows way, oh, a couple of years ago, but we love these quotes. Here's a quote from John Wooden. If you're not making mistakes, then you're not doing anything. I'm positive that a doer makes mistakes. Well, there you go. Natty Gur, welcome. How are you today? I'm great. What about you? Oh, well, thank you very much. Once in a while, a guest asks me that, too, and I'm always very grateful. So tell me, is John Wooden one of your favorite people to quote, or did this one just pop up when you were looking for innovation quotes? Natty? Uh, kind of inspirational. So, yes, one of the people that um, shaped my management um, philosophy, I guess. Okay, so tell me about this. Do you agree that if you're not making mistakes, you're not doing anything? That's kind of kind of strong and harsh, but it's certainly encouraging, isn't it? Uh, yes, um, I totally agree. And the reason that I put this quote is, um, now, innovation is very, there's a lot of paradox around innovation. So um, people usually tend to see innovation as a success. But in reality, when you're dealing with innovation on a daily basis, it's a lot of failure. Um, and on top of that, um, our culture pushes people to be successful. So um, if you are pushed to be successful, you are starting to share away uh, from um, failure. And if you want to really encourage an innovation culture in your company, what you need to do is to help people to, to stay away from the shyness, to, to understand that failure is something natural, that if you are learning from your failure and you're becoming better, that's okay. Because if you don't um, manage to put uh, to, to install it in people's mindset, you won't have real innovation. They will be afraid of dealing with innovation. Natty, thank you. And, you know, on, on many of our shows about innovation and uh, many of our shows, we have a separate series called HR Trends with Game Changers. A new mantra has emerged, and that is fail fast. Fail fast, meaning if you're going to do it, do it, learn from it, move on, and get going again. Do you agree with that, Natty? 
completely. Okay. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you, and thanks for joining us. Let's turn to our third panel, and he is the organizer of this panel. So I want to say thank you to Itzik Shoshan at SAP, and he is getting biblical on us. The quote is from Ecclesiastes 1.9, and here's the quote. There is nothing new under the sun. Welcome, Itzik. How are you today? I'm doing excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me, and thanks for putting together this fascinating panel. So, nothing new under the sun. Is that a deterrent? Talk to me about the quote, why you picked it. But is that a deterrent to innovation? Not at all, but it's actually to remove a bit of the fear from innovation. We are not really creating much. We are not really doing anything which is fearful. When I'm saying that there is nothing new under the sun, yeah, you can innovate, you can do new things, but you're not really creating, so anybody can actually do that. Um, so everything that exists today and everything that you're going to be innovating tomorrow, they are actually just improvement of what already existing. So don't fear of trying, don't fear of failing. Uh, it's kind of giving you uh, a box to be in. Um, kind of, um, if you don't really follow the Bible, you can follow physics, and you can see that there are also the law of conservation. And I know that Shachar learn physics, so you might not agree, but again, everything is constant, whatever we do, and still under the shape of innovation, we're just reforming, we are reassembling, we are changing space, changing location, but this is most of what we do, and then amazing things happen. You get the iPhone, you're getting Netflix, you're getting a lot of new innovations, but without really doing anything new. Interesting. I, I like the way you added amazing things happen because I was getting depressed there for a moment. It's like thinking, well, and, and by the way, this goes to one of my favorite French phrases way back when I was able to speak French fairly fluently. Plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Would you, if you're familiar with that, would you say that's really another version of what Ecclesiastes said in your quote? I think that it's, uh, it's exactly the same thing. Things that change, but it's everything the same. So exactly the same. Thank you. I'm glad and we agree. We're, we're, innovation. We're gonna we're gonna have a good debate here. I think on whether there is the opportunity to just move around the existing atoms that are always there, or whether we can have something really, really new. And it, it reminds me of music industry and people saying, "Wait a minute, you created this new song. Those three notes came from a song from a hundred years ago. I'm going to sue you." Really? I don't know. We're, we're going to take this to some interesting levels. Let's bring on our fourth panelist. It's Moore Sagmont from Also SAP. And I have an, a, uh, an original quote here from Moore. And he says, seek the truth. Don't follow the herd. Welcome, Moore. How are you today? I'm doing great. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, everybody. Hi. So talk to me. Interesting quote. These are in your own words. This is our first original quote today. So what are you talking about? Yeah, well, actually, this is my motto, and it has been for more than 10 years, and I always try to uh, seek the truth, even if it takes going uh, against, the, uh, against the herd, uh, deep dive into the details, study the, something that's important to me to get to the bottom of things. I don't accept the uh, general opinion uh, too easily just because that's a general opinion. I really seek the truth. And uh, it's interesting that uh, this motto of mine really fits together with today's discussion pretty good because the herd actually represents the sustainable relaxation. It's kind of a fixation. The herd doesn't need to even ask where they're going to. Someone else is leading. 
Whereas innovation and creativity is sparked when you unchain yourself from the herd. When you take the wheel, you let go of the herd's constraints, rules, and the norm. You let your mind fly. So this is where I'm coming from with this uh, quote. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. So is, is the herd an organic concept where it's, it's going somewhere? We know there's probably, if you, you like the old, what they used to call the spaghetti westerns, there's always a cowboy, a wrestler out there on that lead horse, and he's whipping the lead cow into shape and saying, go here, we want to go west. That's where the farm is. That's where the ranch is. So does the herd have an organic sense of where it needs to go that you don't want to be connected to it or that you do more? Just take me a little bit more into this well most of the herd they don't even want to be bothered with where they need to go they just like it easy and comfortable so somebody else tells the herd where to go and they go but if i sense uh, that the herd is going somewhere that it's negative that may have Mm -hmm. a, a negative impact on the whole herd maybe on individuals on a sub group of the herd then I, I'm not afraid to uh, step out and look into the things more deeply and more thoroughly. And when I find it's time to say uh, the, the king is naked, then I do it. Mm-hmm. The emperor's new clothes. I know that one. It sounds to me like we're looking for that maverick in the herd, the one who's saying, I don't care where the cowboy's taking us. I'm going to go in a different direction. That's where I'm following the right truth. Very good. Thank you very much. I have an interesting question for the entire panel. We're going to circle back to Shahar Larry and ask you, what are you, first of all, where are you calling from? What time of day or evening is it? And what are you drinking right now that's interesting? Or what do you wish you were drinking? Shahar Larry, you're up first. Go. So um, I'm currently at home in Kfar Saba, is a, a suburb of Tel Aviv. Um, it's 5 p.m. It's um, winter time now, so it's dark. Um, I'm a coffee person, uh, most definitely. Uh, I like my coffee black and bitter, uh, and I drink a lot of it. And, and uh, you know, uh, I remember uh, reading a research about the fact that actually there, there's almost no excess of coffee that you can drink because it's actually good for you. And there's a bumper sticker that I really like that says, research shows that research is wrong. So if you read enough research, you'll find somebody to say the opposite. So I'm going to stick with that one, and I, I, I really love my, my coffee. I used to drink it with milk, but uh, uh, over the past few years, I've, I've tried to shy away from milk for, for various reasons. And, uh, but I'm, I'm a black coffee kind of guy. And do you have a favorite brand? We'd love to know what you're drinking that's strengthening that innovation spirit, Shakar. So, so I, I had some friends uh, visit from uh, from my alma mater, from INSEAD, and um, and uh, and I talked to them about uh, Starbucks not really succeeding in Israel because in Israel, in every street corner, you can find the best Italian coffee, uh, and it's not very expensive and it's really, really good quality. Uh, so there's no specific brand, but uh, if you're a coffee aficionado, uh, Israel and Tel Aviv especially is a great place to go. Uh, very, very good coffee, uh, very, very much available everywhere. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Natty Gore, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking? Houston, Texas. Freezing Houston, Texas, to be honest enough. Mm-hmm. And um, Okay, I have two passions in life. One is photography, the other one is coffee. So I have a setup uh, that I don't think will embarrass any coffee shop in Italy, and I just uh, fixed myself a small cup of uh, espresso, and that's what I'm drinking right now. Wonderful. Does it? Is this something that has a brand or a label? We'd love to know specifically what you're drinking. You want to share that with no, us? No, 
No, it's um, it's it's a known brand that um, um, produces uh, those beans in Lubbock, Texas. I don't know. No one knows I, you, about You them. know what? I would say you're following more Segmon's quote, seek the truth, don't follow the herd. You're getting whatever beans make sense to you. I like that. Thank you. It's a show, Sean. Where are you calling from and what's in your cup? Well, I'm calling from the office, taking the office in Israel. Uh, and I, I'm also a coffee guy. Sorry for not being original. But I really need this coffee. I don't get much of a sleep. I have four kids. The oldest one is barely seven which means that I have long days, very short nights, and coffee keeps me alive. (laughs) I haven't heard that before. That's profound. Do you have a brand? I'm looking for a brand here. Anything special you're drinking? Typically, I told them it's going to be the Nestle. I have their uh, coffee machines. Uh, So unlike Nati, I need it fast, so I just put the capsule and get it in 30 seconds. In the office, I don't even know what they serve. Okay, thank you very much. That's a homework assignment. We have to find out what they're serving in the office. Thank you. And Morris Egmont, are you seeking the truth in coffee, too, or what are you drinking? Where are you calling from? Well, definitely. I'm calling also from SAP Labs in Israel, and I must uh, step out of the herd again because I'm not drinking any coffee or tea uh, on a regular basis. However, uh, every morning before I eat breakfast, I squeeze my juice from organic ginger, lemon, beet, carrot, and celery. And it's very symbolic uh, for, the, for my uh, interest in health because I put a lot of effort and my way of living is very healthy in terms of nutrition. So, and maybe contrary to what we do when we innovate, I really appreciate what our body evolved to depend on for uh, many, many generations and the slow pace by which uh, evolution is being adapted versus the fast pace in which we now live in our world, in our, in our uh, business world, in our modern world, and where, in which our innovations are also happening very, very fast. So I always try to strike the balance between the modern world that's going very fast and the way that nature has uh, evolved us and slowly, slowly, slowly may, may sometimes catch up with our uh, insane uh, pace of change. Thank you very much. I want to repeat those ingredients. Did you say ginger, beets, lemon, carrots, and celery? Was that the combination? And lemon. And lemon, and lemon. Okay, I'm going to tweet that if you don't mind uh, during the break. Anyway, guess what? My panelists have been working very, very hard. We're going to give them a break for just about 90 seconds. And when we come back, we're going to kick off a 25-minute nonstop roundtable. Everybody will have a chance to lead a conversation thread. We're going to start with our first guest, Shahar Larry from Demaya and Strategy Regeneration. I'm going to say to my audience, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're talking today about the innovation evolution from an initial spark to implementable idea. And the big question on the table is, is there anything new under the sun? What happens if you seek the truth and don't follow the herd? Are you going in a new direction or just moving those atoms around in a creative new way? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back. Brad out. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Innovating Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Listening to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Here we are. We certainly are innovating innovation. I have a great panel today. I have Shakar Larry at Demaya and Strategy Regeneration, Natty Gore at the Friedkin Group, Itzik Shoshan at SAP, and Morris Segmon also at SAP. And they're all Israelis. They all have great ideas. Uh, three of them are calling in from Israel, so we're certainly global today. And, and Natty Gore is calling in from Texas. And I think it's cold everywhere. It's cold here in New York, too. But let's warm up this conversation. Our topic is the innovation evolution from initial spark to implementable idea roundtable starts now 25 minutes straight through and let's kick it off with shakar larry and shakar sent me the following very provocative statement innovation is never a goal it is always the means a company needs to understand what is the underlying purpose of its innovation effort in order to be able to innovate effectively shakar why don't you expand this and get us started please sure um First of all, it's it's not cold in Israel, not yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. You know, um, I, I hope that I won't disappoint you, but I think this statement is trivial in the sense that, um, yeah, there are a lot of buzzwords about innovation, and people talk a lot about innovation. And sometimes when you talk about innovation in in, in a company in an organization, you almost feel like yawning because it's so tiring and and, and it's a buzzword and it's meaningless. But uh, the question that I always ask, and, and it has something to do, I think, uh, with what was said before about uh, speaking the truth, I try to go to places where I can create value. And the only way to create value is to understand the business purpose behind what we do. Uh, I think if a company, uh, it's very easy to get intoxicated by innovation and to think that innovation is the goal. But the first questions that I ask is, why are we doing this? What is the purpose? Uh, the purpose could be, because we want to, uh, uh, you know, prepare for, for the future and adapt to change and maybe react to existing trends in the market. The purpose could be top-line growth. It could be efficiency. It could be many things. But if I, if I meet someone they, and they talk about innovation, but they cannot explicitly describe what is the purpose behind what they're doing, and most chances, you know, like, uh, like Alice in Wonderland, that uh, they'll get nowhere. 
Okay, thank you very much. Let's bring in our other panelists on the same topic. Natty Gur, you agree or disagree? Completely agree. Um, and I also agree that it's not uh, provocative at all. Um, I'm, so my domain is corporate America. I'm working for uh, an organization, and it's a business, and, and business won't do anything if you don't have any value uh, as a result of what you are doing. So even though I'm trying to push innovation pretty hard, uh, my first, uh, the first question that I will have from my CEO is what is the value that I'm going to have uh, from those innovations that you and your guys are spending time on. And uh, clearly what I need to do is, uh, first of all, think what are the goals of those innovations, how those innovations are going to help the company goals and object- objectives, uh, because if I won't come uh, with those um, um, values or benefits, no way that I'll get the support that I need from and the rest of the company to sponsor those um, initiatives because when you're spending time on innovation, you are um, paying people and this costs the company as well. And there should be a value coming from everything that you are doing uh, when you are working for an established company. It might be totally different when you're working for a startup, but mm-hmm. it's completely different when you're working for a corporate America. Interesting. I'm going to interject a question here, and Natty can can ask it, uh, can answer it, and anybody else that will bring in Itzik and more. My question is, if you don't know what you don't know until you're deep sometimes into the innovation process, how would you know the value to say, hey, we need you to fund this or at least give us another six weeks or six months of paid work time to develop this idea until you know where it's going? Because we're talking today about the evolution from the spark to the idea. So can we put a, I'll start with you, Natty. Can we put a time frame on on what's allowable in an established company to be innovative? Does that exist? Uh, I don't know. It depends. Each and every company has their own rule uh, and in all culture. So in our specific uh, domain and culture, um, although people can come with any idea that they want, we do have some guidelines what we would like them to be focused on. So we are in the automotive industry, for example. We are looking for certain um, uh, ideas or innovation that will help, up, uh, help us to better succeed in the automotive industry. If someone will come with any idea that won't help us in this direction, probably I'm not going in the right direction. Okay, thank you. It's Shoshan. I'm sure you have something to say on all of this. Talk to me. Yeah, I do. Well, first of all, I do agree with uh, Shahar and what he said. And um, to your question, some companies do allow to innovate on any topic. Uh, Google is very fam- famous for that. Uh, 3M as well. They allow any of their employees that want to innovate take 20% of their time, which is one day a week, and do whatever you want. It can be outside of the core business of the company. It can be actually anything. It can be even for a social cause. But most companies are not like that. Most companies don't have the operating profit of uh, Google, and they cannot afford to do that. And therefore, they are trying to fit into one of four teams. Uh, either it's operational excellence means that we're going to just try to uh, optimize our processes or solution leadership. We would like to get the best solution to the market. Another might be customer intimacy. We would like to get the best customer relationship. And only very few of them are focusing on innovation, on accelerated innovation. We're going to do our business by keep on innovating all the time and keep on coming up with the best and newest uh, products. Uh, therefore, I think that is true for most companies, what Shahar is saying. Okay, thank you. More segment. Join the party here. What do you think? 
Well, uh, I agree and disagree to a certain extent, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I can see where Shachar is coming from. And uh, when, you, when you imagine a, an institutional uh, a sort of innovation, well, it's pretty much that's, that's the way it is in most companies, as Itzig also pointed out. However, each company would, would really want to have a crystal ball or someone who's whispering into the ear and say, hey, hey, you know, this is going to be the next thing. This is your next big thing. And uh, so they can decide that this is a goal. And uh, Google was mentioned. Actually, Google did uh, decide that innovation is going to be a goal, and they're now scanning all of the science fiction texts throughout history, and they uh, declared that they're going to make it happen. So it's a goal for them. Uh, And uh, let us also remember that many innovations in in history happened actually by mistake, without any contact, without any, uh, any goal sets. Uh, X-rays is just is but uh, one example that we can mention. Uh, so innovation uh, is never a goal uh, when you when you formally or formulate your business plan. But innovation enablement should be your goal. Thank you very much. I want to go back to Shahar. Anything you want to comment on what your co-panelists have said on the the point we started with you? Yeah, I think uh, Mo's last point is is wonderful. I, I and again, I think uh, I think we should all have the state of mind of of, of being, uh, as I said, fearless and and lazy a little bit and try to innovate and do things differently and challenge norms. And, and I totally agree with that. But I think there there are two issues that I want to address. One, we need to discern between value creation, which relates to business goals, and between purpose. And I I chose the word purpose on purpose. Uh, sorry, uh, because value creation is, again, is, is trivial. If we're inside a corporate setting where we're trying to do something according to the business goals of the company, etc., it's very clear that it needs to follow that. And what are these goals? Uh, uh, like the, my, my friends on the panel said, it, they, they may change over time, and we need to be flexible with them, and that is true. But then the question of purpose remains, and the, pur- the question of purpose, it, it might shift, but not as fast. And it might uh, have something uh, to do with the culture of the company. For example, a company like Google may decide that its purpose is to invigorate creative thinking and innovation and creativity, uh, and that becomes a purpose. And so in in that case, uh, my uh, maybe provocative statement that innovation is never a goal is not true. It's almost never a goal. Uh, I want to say, I want to give you an example. I I, I, I met with a a high-tech, Israeli high-tech company, one of the largest security companies in the world, uh, uh, computer security, and they told me that they allot uh, certain time for each employee according to their rank to do whatever they want, to innovate on whatever they want. And I was talking to the HR people, and I said, so what's the problem? And they said, nobody uses that time. And the reason I think nobody, nobody in that organization uses that time is that organizations seem, seem to have, and I'm, I'm kind of circling back to where we started from, Organizations seem to have what I call commitment gravity. Uh, The more you invest in what you do and the more you work harder and put money and time and people and thought into what you do, the more the routine will pull you down, really very similar to gravity. And even if you provide uh, your employees with the ability to do something that is totally uh, different from from their normal work, uh, they will tend to gravitate back to what they're, they're usually doing. 
Very interesting point. Thank you for adding that, and I'm glad we circled back to you. I'm going to move to a new conversation thread. Actually, Shahar just gave me a perfect segue into one of Natty Gur's talking points. Natty says there are predefined, accessible, and well-communicated vehicles to enable innovation. People in a company shouldn't be afraid to try new and creative solutions or methods to create them. So let's talk about giving permission. And part of our theme here today, Natty and panelists, is what are successful, innovatively successful, companies doing to foster this culture of uh, innovation evolution. So, Natty, why don't you take up this thread, and and, uh, then we'll circle around the table. Please go ahead. Okay, so um, I believe that um, innovation starts with the cows, but um, in order to encourage people to start the cows, um, there should be some structural way to um, enable people to do it, because if there isn't any structural way, um, usually people won't be, um, or they won't be aware of the opportunity to do it, or they won't be pushed to do it. So I can speak about our experience in our, um, we have like Mm -hmm. two different vehicles that we put in place that enable our um, employees to deal with innovation. One of them is pretty common, is, is uh, the hackathon that uh, probably other companies are doing. And the other one, it's another vehicle, it's similar to what Google has in place. So it's not 20%, I managed to get the 40% of their time uh, allocated to um, working on initiative. Um, and uh, what we find out that uh, before having those vehicles in place, um, People wanted to spend time innovation, but um, they didn't actually did it. Uh, once we have those uh, vehicles in place and we communicate it again, again, again uh, with associates, we started to see an increasing number of people um, involved in those innovations uh, or attempt to innovate. And once they start to see that um, failing in those innovations doesn't cause any damage, uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. reflect on them. Uh, there start to be more and more people involved in in this um, in this process, and right now we have pretty good percentage of people that are um, trying to innovate in our uh, companies. Um, I just back to back to the first point. Um, I don't feel, based on my experience, that uh, without any predefined vehicles that communicate very clearly. Uh, how this chaos process should start, this chaos process usually is not starting. So that's my call. Thank you very much. It's Shoshan. Talk to me. What do you think about what Natty just put on the table? Uh, well, I have to agree with him. As well in our company, uh, only once you really set up uh, programs for innovation to increase the culture around innovation, to allow people to try to innovate, to allow people to be okay if they fail, as long as they're failing because the idea didn't succeed, not because they were not executing as they were supposed to, then it's fine. And there are many different ways to do that. Uh, we can an ad hoc idea campaign. Guys, we would like you to innovate around a specific topic. We can allow them to do kind of a hackathon, which is typically a one or up to three days where everybody in the company that wishes to do that at the same time, innovating around an idea that they want at the end of it, there is kind of, they're showing up in a demo jam, everything that they did, and people applause, and there is a winner to that. Another one is to do kind of an accelerator, 
where we have a team which evaluates ideas and the ideas which are good, they sponsor them and they provide budget and provide the capabilities for the owner of the idea to pursue it and see if it's successful. So there are many different ways that we are using in order to get this bottom-up innovation. Uh, but truth is that bottom-up innovation is the, it's the most difficult typically in the company. Uh, it's much easier to do a top-down innovation than a bottom-up, and very few of the bottom-up initiatives uh, succeed and become a true successful customer offering at the end of the day. Very, very interesting. Thank you for that differentiation. Morris Egmont, join us. What do you think? Yes, uh, I, I think that uh, such vehicles like uh, Hackathon and others, uh, they're nice and they may surprise uh, once in a while, but I don't think that they are where true innovation is to be expected. I think that, uh, that true innovation in, a, in, a, in the context of organization is about enabling environment. It's about the context in which you operate, in which you work. It's encouraging and supportive environment, respecting new ideas and failures, allowing the time. It's an ongoing enablement environment, not a specific vehicle put in place in that point of time or the other, which is nice to do as well. Because um, as we said, and uh, as uh, Shai mentioned, uh, talked about the uh, gravity, uh, in order to let people go out of the, the gravity that Shahar mentioned, we need to signal them that it's okay in our culture to do something else, to leave this gravity, to leave Earth, to leave the comfort zone. And mm-hmm. this you do with an ongoing uh, environment and, and, and things, as I mentioned, not with a, a vehicle today or next month. Thank you. Shahar, talk to us. I know you dropped off for a second to call back, and I hear you're on an amazingly clear line now, so let's hear from you. What do you think? Yeah. Um, so, so a couple of things. Um, maybe, yeah, two things. One, I think one of the major challenges in innovation bottom-up, like Itzik said, is communication inside your organization, and I think it's neglected, and I think it's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to uh, develop uh, innovation bottom-up from the grassroots. I think so many times people, through different vehicles, uh, generate ideas that might be interesting. Uh, some of them are even followed up, but very, uh, you know, uh, very seldomly do they get communicated back to what happened with these ideas and maybe, maybe recruit them into the effort of, of driving this forward. So that's one, that's one point. The second point mm-hmm. is to, to what Maul just said. And so, so from quite a few years, I was teaching people how to innovate, how to break free, how to think differently about what they do. And I have to, I'm reminded uh, uh, with an interview that uh, Professor Yeshayahu Leibovitch, uh, an Israeli Jewish philosopher, uh, gave before, before he passed away. And the, the interviewer started with a question and said, you've been, you've been an educator for 70 years. And he wanted to ask something different, but, but Mr. Leibovitch stopped him. Professor Leibovitch stopped him and said, I am not an educator. So he said, what do you mean? You've been teaching for 70 years. So he said, I haven't been teaching. I've been trying to teach. But the jury is still out. And, and I think in many, in, many, in many cases, I've been teaching innovation all over the world for the past 10 years, and I have to tell you that uh, in, in order to sprinkle that fairy dust that helps people to leave their, their gravity and do things in a different way, it's not enough to tell them that they're allowed. You actually have to generate circumstances in which it's possible to do. 
And, uh, and when I meet an organization and that happens, that's great. But many times when I leave, again, gravity pulls them back down. And it becomes very difficult to, to reignite it, which is where communication becomes critical. Because if you communicate the success, then you invigorate and you, and you kind of sprinkle the fairy dust again. And then people feel again the enthusiasm of innovation. That's very exciting. Thank you, Shahar. And uh, you know what? We're going to skip our break in about six minutes because we have so much more territory to cover. So I'm going to plow ahead. I'm looking at the notes from Itzik Shoshan at SAP, and I, I think I see something very interesting that we haven't covered yet. Itzik, you say innovation requires three core ingredients, owner, capability, and opportunity. And you add any company that can provide these ingredients will successfully innovate. Is this the formula for guaranteed success or maybe probably more likely success in innovation? Itzik? Well, there is always a risk, but this is increasing your uh, ability to innovate. Or actually, I should say the other way. Without these three, you're not going to be able to be successful. With these three, you might have a chance to be successful in innovating. And the idea is that typically when we're talking about innovation, everybody think about the idea, the eureka moment, that I'm, I'm having an idea and now from here I can innovate. But the truth is that the idea is only one component around the, the opportunity. But first of all, you're going to need a good business driver, somebody to lead this innovation, the visionary, the one that can manage the business at the end of it. If you're not going to get a, a, a good driver, you're not going to be able to execute on the idea. A second component is the capability. You need the ability to execute, right? And ability to execute means that you're going to have the right people to innovate with you. You're going to have the right processes. You're going to have the right tools. You're going to have the capital. You're going to have the money. And without these capabilities as well, you're going to be missing. And the third one is the opportunity, the unfulfilled need. You need to identify, and this is where your idea coming from, you need to identify the right opportunity to innovate on. So what I'm trying to say here is actually only with these three, you might reach the holy grail of innovation. If one of them is going to be missing, you're probably not going to be successful. And we can see many companies failing because one of them. You can see a lot of startups and evaluate why they failed. Typically, it's going to be either they produce a solution that doesn't really answer to a customer need, so they didn't mm-hmm. come up with the right idea or they ran out of money, or the technology wasn't good enough. This is typically what they're going to say timing issues are. So this is around the capability. Or the leaders or the team weren't good enough to execute on it. This is where the business driver is not good enough. So in order to be successful, you must have the three of them. Thank you very much. Good to have that formula. And more Sagman, I'd like you to comment. What do you think? Well, actually, maybe from a process point of view, when you have a clear goal and you encourage innovation towards that challenge, uh, maybe that, that I, can, I can understand that. But I don't think that in, innovation requires these three ingredients. I think innovation requires only the owner because mm. this is the nature of innovation. You may not even know that there, is, that there are going to be an opportunity to realize it in a business-wise you just have an owner who is creating now something. The question whether there will be a capability within the organization to execute it or identify an opportunity to make money out of it, these are not uh, parameters that will uh, make or break the innovation per se. For example, you can have an innovative idea and neither have the capability, but if you take that same innovation and take it elsewhere, 
it may flourish, as we've seen with many uh, uh, artworks and spiritual uh, IP in the in the and even in business. You know how SAP started as an example. Uh, five people in IBM were taken uh, off of, of the project, so they went away and uh, started their own startup, and that was SAP. So they, ha- they, had, they were innovation, they were the owner, but the organization didn't recognize the opportunity, so they just started it elsewhere. Interesting. Shahar, comments on this formula? Agree, disagree? What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I, I think there's something missing here, and I think I, I, I tend to agree with Itzik, and I think uh, to most comment, if you have a strong uh, owner, then he usually uh, delivers you with the uh, capability and, and, and the, the other element. What I'm missing here is leadership, and I think, uh, you know, I, I remember a quote by, I don't remember the quote, a story by the, one of the mythological CEOs of 3M, uh, that said that, uh, uh, that the reason why uh, engineers in 3M have 15% of their time allotted to projects that uh, make no sense for the business goals of the existing business or don't have to uh, be aligned with the existing business goals is because he said, I made the mistake twice. The first time was with the musking tape that, the, that, that was actually brought to the company uh, by one of its engineers and was rejected and was uh, the biggest blockbuster of 3M I think in the 1930s, and the second one was the Post-it famous story that again was first of all rejected by the marketing in the company and only later adopted as the company's most successful product ever. And, I, and, and he, he was saying, uh, I don't trust myself uh, to identify innovation, therefore I must put in place the mechanism that will allow it to happen. And I think a leader, a leader inside your organization, a top leader inside your organization, has to give the, the people in the middle and, and at the bottom, the feeling, and somebody mentioned that before, the feeling that it's possible, that, that they will listen to, to what they have to offer. And uh, without the endorsement and leadership or, or the, the leader's endorsement of innovation and without their modesty to accept the fact that they might not see something and that they might not identify all of the value, I think these conditions are also necessary, and I think they're rarer than we think. So, so maybe that's why innovation is so difficult. I'll just add one more sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most frequent sentences or, or, or resistance that I get when I work with companies is, we've tried it before, it doesn't work. Like when we come up with a new idea, people say, we've tried it before. And it's always never true because they've tried something similar but not exactly that. And they've tried it before, but now it's different because time passed, technology changed, context changed, the company changed, the market changed. And having the leaders that when I, every now and then I meet a leader that says, we've tried it before, let's try it again. And that requires guts. Thank you very much. Natty, you want to chime in on this? Yes, definitely. Uh, so I tend to agree with Itzik. Um, and the reason is because from my point of view, innovation is a process from an idea to a successful product. If it doesn't end up with successful product, uh, it might be a very nice idea, but I don't see the actual value out of it and neither the people that I'm working for. So in order to be able to uh, push an idea to a successful product, you need definitely process in place. You need more than one owner, by the way. And um, you need everything that you mentioned in order to uh, translate eventually uh, the, the idea into a workable a product that works flawlessly because if I even and all the we have a lot of examples from the software companies when you're pushing a wonderful idea but we, if it's full with bugs actually it's not being um, 
um, used and adopted by the mass. So I tend to agree with Isaac, and the reason is because the innovation should be end up as a product. Thank you very much. I'm going to squeeze in one more conversation topic here with more Segma. More, I didn't forget you. And we're going to have to make this one a quickie because we have to move into our predictions soon. More, you sent me the following notes. I'm going to read two parts to, from your notes, and, and let's see if they're in agreement or contradiction. You say, our, our aged education system is suppressing the innovation muscle of our children. They learn to be good clerks following orders, but reluctant to think outside the box in a creative fashion. Then you add, smart companies should introduce their challenges to children. They'll be surprised with what they may come up with. So are we killing that innovation muscle? Or if you ask a kid outside of the school situation, hey, how would you solve this problem? Do you think we would come up with some moving those atoms around in a really creative way? More, take it away. Thank you. Uh, well, when we uh, go back and ask ourselves, how did the education system started and for what purpose? then we find that it started in order to provide the workforce for the industry. And that's how it became, uh, and that's how it was designed, as, um, you know, as, a, uh, as a, an assembly line of producing um, very uh, good people who do what they're told, who think in a certain way, who are not stepping out of line, because we need them to be productive. We need them to do what they're told, not to be creative, because the creatives are those who uh, initiated the company, not the workforce. Unfortunately, this system did not change that much throughout the time. And even today, we are just uh, making sure that all all children are in line. They can't be out of line from the positive uh, uh, side, not from the negative side. They need to be in line. Now, however... If we ask children uh, what they think about our business challenges, we might still catch them when they're still free, they're detached, they don't have the gravity to consider, they're innocent, they're not afraid to ask questions, their way of thinking is very uh, uh, um, surprising. Sometimes, we, you know, we tend to say, well, children, we cannot explain to them the complexity and the background of the business and the technology, but it's not true, you know. You can explain everything in a simple way and, and relate to a, to a child. I'm talking about children, 10 years old, 15 mm-hmm. years old, not 5 years old, okay? Uh, and they can come all of a sudden with a new approach, with a new perspective, and then you can take and uh, polish it and fine-tuning and add the layers of technology and engineering and, and uh, what have you in order to make it, um, to realize it. So this, is, this was my point. Thank you very much. You know what? We have, let's see, five minutes left till the end of the show. I'm going to give you each a one-minute predictions round, starting with Shakar Larry. And Shakar, fast forward, please, to the year 2020, if that's what you can see clearly in the crystal ball or any other year. But I'd like you to also answer the question, my question, will millennials, I know that dreaded M word, will millennials be the, the new wave of innovative processes and ideas and energy? So, Shakar, one-minute predictions, go. Thanks. They will be, of course, uh, but again, there is nothing to it because every generation will have its innovators, so it's just natural that they will have it too. Um, you know, uh, Niels Bohr, the physicist, once said, uh, prediction is very difficult, especially about the future, and I think that uh, for us it's the same. 2020 is as far from us today as was uh, 2010 from uh, 1990. The rate of change is moving so quickly 
Uh, it's very difficult for me uh, to predict, but I'll give you this. I think in the next uh, two to three years, uh, 3D printing will have a huge effect on um, entrepreneurship and innovation. I think it will go hand in hand with the lowering of the barrier of incorporation. So we'll find more and more micro-businesses, very small entrepreneurs employing 3D printing technology, for example. Other technologies as well, new media will still flourish. But, uh, but we might see a shift back into tangible products uh, via the 3D uh, uh, revolution that, that is upon us. I think two, three years to the future, we'll start seeing that happening. Thank you so much. Natty Gore at the Freakin Group, I can give you one minute for predictions. Go. I uh, can't predict the future, uh, but can definitely say that uh, as far as I see, uh, new generations are much more engaged in innovation. It's coming much more naturally for them. Uh, they are deeply involved. They like to uh, think out of the box much more than my generation and generation before me. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. It's show Sean. Talk to me. Predictions. Prediction. Well, probably for the short term, I can talk about the Internet of Things. Computers are getting cheaper. Everything is getting connected. Uh, we can definitely assume that in the near past, everything is going to be connected and they're going to be smart. And being smart doesn't, doesn't just mean that you can con- uh, connect to it from the smartphone and turn it on or off, but it means that it, ac- it can actually... For example, if you're talking about the oven, so if you're going to put the chicken inside, it's going to know how to cook it well without you setting the temperature and you setting the time, but rather it's going to know exactly when to set it up, when to change the temperature, and when to set it off. Uh, So this is where we're going. We're going to have a lot of different connected smart devices around us that are going to allow us to be even more, even lazier in the future. <laughs> Thank you very much. Innovation means we get to be lazy sometimes. Morris Sagma, why do you round out this predictions segment? What do you think? What do you see? Uh, I believe we're going to see much more bottom-up collaborative innovation, similar to crowdsourcing or crowdfunding. I think the shared creations, leveraging the creativity of the crowd, this is what's going to happen. Like uh, an, an industry or a, a company will outpost their challenge, and uh, one person may contribute an idea, and another person from the crowd uh, polishes a little bit or adds a patch, another layer, and until um, uh, a sporadically arranged group of uh, people contribute to this innovation. Now, the, uh, what needs to happen Along the way, the IP proceeds will also need to be more transparent and also shared because uh, there are more contributors and innovators now all of a sudden. So new mechanisms will will evolve in order to support this bottom-up collaborative innovation culture. Thank you very much. I have a quick question, yes or no answer for the whole panel before I wrap up the show. Question starting with Shahar. In 2020, will CIO stand for Chief Innovation Officer, yes or no? No. Okay. Natty Gur. Yes. <laughs> it's a Shoshan. Definitely yes. Oh, we got one no and two yeses and more Segmo. I'd say you can put him on tomorrow. 
<laughs> okay, Shahar, you're out there in the field alone, but I think that's where you want to be. Thank you very much. It's time for me to wrap up. What wonderful panel. Great ideas, great speakers. Thank you all so much for contributing your energy and engagement and most of all your passion for the topic. I think we have, have great opportunities here. Shahar, Lariat, Demaya, and Strategy Regeneration. Thank you. Nadi Gur at the Friedkin Group. Thank you. Itzik Shoshan at SAP. Thank you. And Morris Segmon at SAP. Also, shout out to Michelle Serrier at SAP, who sponsors this series, Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Itzik Shoshan, the topic fell to you and you came through in flying colors with a great panel. Thank you so much. And a shout out to our new tweeter extraordinaire. It's Thomas Eckert at SAP, tweeting at Thomas Eckert 201. Did a great job capturing our panel's words of wisdom. And thank you to Brad and the Business Channel team for getting us and keeping us on the air. This is the end of our broadcast week. This week we did HR Trends with Game Changers, Coffee Break with Game Changers, the Internet of Things with Game Changers, and just now wrapping up Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll see you next Monday with HR Trends with Game Changers. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be an innovative game changer today. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.